Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. My name is Kennard Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is January 3rd, 2010. I tried to do my broadcast through Skype yesterday, and it was very unsuccessful. Some listeners told me that uh, I was just breaking up. I was breaking up. So, until further notice, I will do these Bible studies using my real audio program. I tried to get me a headset for my corded telephone. I don't have a cordless telephone like perhaps a lot of people do. I have a regular corded phone. And for the regular corded phone, you have to get a headset for it. Unfortunately, even Walmart doesn't have it in stock at their stores, so I have to order it online. So until I'm able to do that, uh, please uh, be patient with me, and this is the next best thing. At least you can hear me clearly, and it won't be breaking up. So before I get into this significant Bible studies about what wives should do, I did a previous Bible study on what husbands should do to have a happy marriage. Now I need to address what wives need to do. That's only fair, because a marriage consists, as you learned from last week's Bible study, and I think common sense to tell you that a marriage is between a man and a woman, although society is, of course, trying to change that definition. But according to the Bible, according to Matthew chapter 19, uh, with Jesus' own words, as I went over last week, marriage is between a man and a woman. So anyway, I have been reminding each and every one of you who have been listening to this program to get the Fall of the Republic, or to, you don't have to get the DVD, but you can actually listen to it for free online on YouTube. The Fall of the Republic, and also the other documentary, excellent documentary by Alex Jones called The End Game. Please, what you need to do is go to YouTube.com, and or you can search for it on Google, and you'll be able to see, I think The Fall of the Republic is about a 2 hour and 24 minutes uh, I'm just giving you an estimate. I don't know exactly uh, the time for the movie. But also the end game, I think that's over two hours. But both of those will give you all the information that you need to understand what's really going on in the world and it'll help you understand the prophecies of the Bible, in particular Daniel chapter 7 and also Revelation chapter 13. As things get ready to go down, I will address these prophecies more in detail as things are being fulfilled. Anyway, right now, this Bible study is about what wives should do to have a happy marriage. First of all, I want to address something that's very important that you need to understand and that you need to to believe. As I've mentioned on a few programs, the book of Revelation was written for the 21st century. There's no doubt in my mind that in the 21st century that God and, and the form of Jesus Christ will come back to this earth. If he doesn't, as he predicted in Matthew chapter 24, no flesh should be saved alive. Let's go to that right now, Matthew chapter 24. There's going to come a time that's so wicked, and we're living in this in this time now. Verse 21, he says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, 
there should no flesh be saved. And he means no flesh. But for the elect's sake, those people that are obeying God, that uh, don't believe that the law has been nailed to the cross, and, and also believes that the law of Moses is the law of God, says, for those people's sake, which aren't that many that exist on the earth at this time, those days shall be shortened. So, we're living in those in this time now, the time that he stated. Now, one of the things you need to understand is, as I explained to, to other people, 19, August 6, 1945, we were able to destroy, literally, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, basically. We killed about over 200,000 people with a nuclear bomb. That began the nuclear bomb generation. And Christ stated that there would come a time if he did not come, there would no flesh be saved alive. Now, in that context, he's talking about the generation of man's years. And in Psalm 90, let's turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 10, tells us what God says our days are. Says the days of our years are threescore years and ten, so that's seventy years. And if by reason of strength, they be fourscore years. So, seventy or eighty years. So we go back to Matthew chapter twenty-four. We understand the time, the genesis or the start of us being able to have the capability of blowing every man and woman and child off this earth, no flesh saved alive, happened in nineteen forty-five. And you can do a Google search on the presidents, I forgot, I think it was Hoover, who was the president at that time, he stated that we had tapped into the power of the universe at that particular period of time. So, since 1945, and, and it's kind of curious, that's when the baby boom generation began around 1945, 1946, get it, baby boom generation. But anyway, since that time, Christ stated that in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 34 he says verily I say unto you this generation he wasn't just talking about the generation um, back then he's talking about specifically and directly about our generation because in verse 33 he says so likewise when you see all these things what things the things he was talking about Know that it is near. What What's near? The the time of man trying to rule himself. That's going to be over. Even at the doors. And he says, Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. He's primarily talking about the nuclear bomb generation. So if you add 70 years to 1945, you get 2015. If you add 80 years to 1945, you get, what, 2025. All right, so that's just estimation based on the words of the Bible. I don't know what year. No one knows what year, not even Christ. He doesn't know the day or the hour that he's going to come back. However, you can estimate. You can estimate, and we should not be ignorant of the signs of the times. As First Thessalonians states, chapter 5, verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for... You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. And I'll explain what that thief in the night is. Uh, some other time it is revealed in the book of Revelation what the thief in the night is. So anyway, 
let's focus on what wives should do to, to have a happy marriage before I get into something else here. Some of us to talk about about the Bible. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you the proper foundation to understand the type of world we're living in. And the book of Revelation, if you look at the first chapter of the book of Revelation, you can turn there with me if you want. It says in verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and, and they that hear the words or understand the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. It's talking about this period of the 21st century. The time is at hand. This book is open now for anyone that's having a desire to understand it. All you need to do is cry out to God. In Proverbs chapter 1, it tells you if you just want, if you just obey Him, He'll pour out His Spirit so that you can understand His words. So, I gave you the foundation here to, to, to lead into what I'm getting ready to tell you here. Now, you understand that the book of Revelation is primarily for the 21st century. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it states this. It states... That and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth or tricks the whole world. The whole, the population of the world right now is close to 7 billion people. That's 7,000 million people. And this devil, what does he do? He deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, he has a structure, a governmental structure uh, that is revealed here. Let's turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. In verse 10, that's the reason why the Bible tells us to put on our armor, our spiritual armor, so that we can fight against the devil and his demons, his servants. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, or the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And let's look at another translation of that to get the full meaning of this. Let's look at the Hebraic Complete Jewish Bible written by Mr. David Stern, which I highly suggest you get so you can understand the Hebraic background of the Bible. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 in the Complete Jewish Bible version, verse 12. It says, for we are not struggling against human beings, but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers governing this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And that just doesn't include the sky. It also includes space, outer space. So that is the, the kind of power that the devil has. And he has tricked and deceived people throughout the ages and, and the Bible even says if, if I can remember this scripture here in the second Corinthians that he has ministers he has ministers uh, let's see I might have to use my concordance to find this scripture nope it's in my mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful, or tricky workers, transforming themselves into the apostles or missionaries of Christ. And O marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of life, so he appears to be nice, so he can trick you. 
Verse 15, Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So that's very important, ladies and gentlemen, to understand. It's very important to understand that the devil tries to appear as an angel of light. And his doctrines, his teachings, appear to be right, but they are not. And that is that is the definition of deception. That's the definition of trickery. Just like the Halloween pagan day that he created, uh, trick or treat. In other words, you better treat me or I'm going to trick you. And the devil is a master of tricking people. So let's understand that. So we understand that the devil, God has stated that he has deceived the whole world and continues to do so as I'm speaking. And in Jeremiah chapter 16, Jeremiah chapter 16, you'll see the reason why I'm telling you this because I want you to understand what God tells you about women and, and how they are supposed to be. Because the devil has really, really has deceived people on what a real woman should be. That's the reason why I'm taking the time to show you what the Bible says about that. Jeremiah chapter 16, starting in verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth, and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies. Our fathers, our past generations, ladies and gentlemen, have inherited lies. And who do they inherit the lies from? The devil. Vanity and things wherein there is no profit. Shall a man make gods unto himself, and they are no gods? Therefore, behold, I will this once cause him to know, I will cause him to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord, or his name is Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, Yehovah, Jehovah, some people will say Jehovah, but his name definitely has something to do with Y-H-W-H, that's the... Um, acronym or abbreviation YHWH YHVH that is his real name and people will know his real name in the future and then also just as important as knowing his name doing the need, doing the deeds D-E-E-D-S deeds that are associated with the name so that's, that's very important as well to do that so 14 minutes into this. I just want to make sure that uh, I say what I need to say here. Now, when we turn to Ezekiel, we have to understand that we all have a tendency to be rebellious toward God. Romans 8, verse 7. Romans 8, verse 7 states this. As he verse, let's start in verse 5. Romans 8, verse 5. And I'm going to read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. Romans 5, Romans 8, rather, verse 5. And this is in the complete Jewish Bible. You can follow along with the King James Bible, whatever Bible you have, if you want. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who identify with their old nature set their minds on the things of the old nature, but those who identify with the Spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit having one's mind controlled by the old nature the old nature is death that's the devil's nature but having one's mind controlled by the spirit is life and shalom or peace uh, the Hebrew word for, for peace is shalom 
Verse 7, for the mind controlled by the old nature is hostile to God. So the devil is definitely hostile to God and his children are. Because it does not submit itself to God's Torah or law. Indeed it cannot. So it says in verse 8 of Romans, those who identify with their old nature cannot please God. But this is what we want to strive to be. In verse 9, but you, you do not identify with your old nature or the devil's nature, but with the spirit provided the Spirit of God is living inside you, for anyone who does not have the Spirit of the Messiah doesn't belong to him. So that's what the Spirit of God is, is also the Spirit of the Messiah, or Christ. All right, so we have a tendency, without God's help, if we just push God out of our lives, we're going to have more of a tendency to want to sin. And that's the point I was trying to make. Now, Ezekiel chapter 2. And let me give you some background information. Whenever you see, ladies and gentlemen, the children of Israel, the house of Israel, Israel, in the Bible, it's not just referring to the Jews. And in some cases, it's not even referring to the Jews. Uh, if it just talks about the house of Israel, then you have the house of Judah in that context. The house of Judah is primarily referring to the Jews, uh, scattered tribes of Benjamin, and Levites, and the Levites, or the priests, uh, they all merged together to form the Jews of today that many identify with. But as the Bible predicted, uh, actually starting in second, I think in Second Kings, it's in Second Kings chapter 17, the ten tribes of Israel were taken into captivity by the kingdom of Isaiah at, at, at that particular period of time. I think it was back in 721 B.C., 722 B.C. People can't make up their minds what the date is, but that's approximately what it is, okay? In 2 Kings chapter 17. And it tells you what happened and that they were taken into captivity. In 2 Kings chapter 17, if you want to read that. But people, historians have said that those tribes are lost. Even some Jewish rabbis believe that those tribes are lost and... But in Ezekiel chapter 37, God predicts that <clears throat> Ephraim, which is the house of Israel, that's another name meaning for the house of Israel, the ten tribe house of Israel, and also Judah, those two six will be joined together. The reason why I'm trying to explain this to you is that the United States, the British Commonwealth of Nations, the countries in northwestern Europe, Australia, and New Zealand and South Africa are a part of the ten tribes of Israel. Also, anyone who, of course, attaches himself to Jesus Christ or Yeshua Messiah, which is his Hebrew name, becomes automatically part of Israel. So whenever you see Israel in the Bible, stop thinking it's just the Jews or that this refers to the people in the Old Testament. It's also referring to us. We are a part of Israel. The United States, Britain, we have the most Bible distribution in the world. Of course, in Israel, they just believe in the Old Testament, but still, that's part of the Bible. And those three geographical areas, North America, um, also Britain, the British Commonwealth, the countries of Northwestern Europe, and of course, in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, it, we have the most Bible distributions. All right, so that should tell you right there where the people of God are primarily at geographically. But there's other proofs, and if you want other proof, 
go to www.britam.org or .com and you should be able to get information that will prove to you what I'm talking about. Also on my blog talk blog talk uh, website go to the, the link where it says the 10 tribes of Israel click on that and it'll take you automatically to a page that will prove it out of the Bible and other sources that the United States and the British Commonwealth of Nations is a significant part of modern Israel today alright so I just wanted to explain that to you and let me check my time here. Okay, I've used 20 minutes so far to explain that. Uh, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 2. But it's very important for me to explain that. Because what I'm going to talk about today is very important. Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2. Verse 1, And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. Now remember, when I read you these prophetic books, the church is, is part of the foundation of the church are the prophets. So I'm going to talk about the prophets when I need to. And what Ezekiel is talking about today applies also to today as well, as you're going to see. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2, And the Spirit entered unto me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him... That spake unto me, and he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. So that's a prophetic statement. For they are impudent children and stiff necked. I do send thee unto them, and thou shall say unto them, Thus says the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there have been a prophet among them. And it's talking about Ezekiel, not, not me, but Ezekiel. They'll know that Ezekiel was a prophet when all these things that he said is going to happen, not just in his day, but in our day today. <laughs> Verse 6, and thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. So he just focuses so much on the rebellion, unfortunately. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Let me uh, check something here. I'll be right back. Okay. So verse 7 of Ezekiel chapter 2, And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. I mean, that that's what we are today. We, we are most rebellious. And I just want to, I want you to understand that that's going to lead into uh, what wives should do to please their husbands. You'll see in a minute, okay? But anyway, 
verse 8, But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be thou, be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. Now, before you get the wrong impression of what I just said earlier, men are just as rebellious as women. Okay, but there's a, there's a way there's a way that men are rebellious and there's a way that women are rebellious. Both have played a role in the rebellion that is talked about here in Ezekiel chapter 2. I just want to point that out. Verse 8, But thou, son of man, hear what I have to say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. So he's, he's, in, he's including not just the women, but also the men. Okay, Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And this, that's what he wants us to do symbolically when it, when, when, in terms of the Bible. He wants us to take the words so seriously that we can envision eating these words. These words are words of life, as Yeshua or Jesus stated in the Gospels. And we need to take these words of the Bible seriously to the point of uh, just thinking about eating them. Because that's what he's telling Ezekiel here. Verse 9, And when I... Look, I'm not saying literally eat them, but symbolically eat them. Verse 9, And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And, it, and he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written there, therein lamentations, mourning, and woe. And then chapter 3, Moreover he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel, which includes the United States and the British Commonwealth of Nations. Verse 2, So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee into the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not too many people of a strange speech and of a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. So this is amazing. He's saying that he, people that aren't affiliated with the United States and the British Commonwealth of Nations, uh, the countries of Northwestern Europe, uh, New Zealand, Australia, he's stating that they would, the Russians and, and the Chinese folks and so forth, if if a true prophet of God or if they heard the true message of God, if they these words were sent to them, they would hearken. <laughs> but in verse 6, he says, But the house of Israel will not hearken to thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. So, in verse 8, and that's unfortunate, but that's one of our characteristics. We're very stubborn and stiff-necked, as Stephen stated in Acts chapter 7, and he got stoned and murdered because of it. Verse 8, Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Again, he keeps on repeating this, this concept of them being so rebellious, of we being so rebellious. Verse 10, Moreover he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thy heart, and hear with thine ears, and go, get thee to them of the captivity, and to the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear. 
So God knows, and, and he states here, he states here that uh, he's telling the prophet here to, to speak to them even if they don't listen. And I think he stated that they would not listen, he says, right here, let me see. Yeah, verse 7 of Ezekiel chapter 3. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Hard hard, yep, hard-hearted. Hard-hearted, I'm sorry. So, that's what he's, he's telling us here in this particular scripture. And it says here in the footnote here, Ezekiel was warned at the outset of his ministry that the people would not listen to him. They're very hard-headed and stiff-necked. That's a better way to understand that. Unfortunately, we, even today, as a nation, we're like that. So, when we turn to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. Similar phraseology is located here in this chapter. Revelation chapter 10. And verse 6, And swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there shall be time no longer or no more delay. But in the days of the voice of the seven angel, we are living in those days. Uh, uh, in this century, there's no doubt in my mind that the seven trump will be blown. I just can't comprehend it out of my limited mind that God would wait to the 22nd century to come back based on world events and where they're headed right now. And a lot of people would agree with me that study prophecy. But anyway, Revelation chapter 10, verse 7, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God shall be finished, as he has declared to his servants the prophets. Verse 8, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel. Remember, there was a hand that presented a book to Ezekiel back in Ezekiel chapter 2. And it says in verse 8, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter. But it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So the same phraseology, same concept, Ezekiel's going and speaking to the house of Israel. However, this message is expanded not just to focus on the house of Israel, but to all nations. And that's not a surprise because the Revelation, the book of Revelation is for the 21st century. And this message is addressed to the entire world, not just the house of Israel. But the church, the church's mission, as Christ stated in the last chapter of Matthew, is to reach the whole world. The message of Israel applies to everyone because Israel should be a light to the nations, as the Bible clearly describes. So in Romans chapter 10...
Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. So they're, they're, they're eager for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. What's God's righteousness? God's righteousness is defined in Psalm 119, verse 172. God's righteousness is his, all of his commandments. And going about to establish their own righteousness, and that's what many of these, that's why we have many congregations and many different types of religions, is because they're establishing their own righteousness instead of obeying the laws of God in the Bible. Have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God, which is his commandments again. Which is Psalm 119, verse 172, proves. So, that is the, that's the situation. That gives you the proper background. So we know that there's a bunch of rebellion going on, that men are rebelling, and so are women. But we're going to focus on how women, in particular, wives, are rebelling. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Oh, it says that um, knowledge is, is, they're not, they don't have a zeal of God according to knowledge. I wanted to quote this scripture here real quick in Hebrews. Not Hebrews, but Hosea. Because God prophesied that this would occur. And he stated in Hosea 4 verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. So when he's stating that uh, you don't have the knowledge and so forth, that's rejection of his law, his Torah, his teachings and doctrines and commandments and statutes and judgments. In verse 7, he states in Hosea chapter 4, As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people, and they set their heart on their iniquity. And there shall be like people, like priests. So there's not going to be any difference between the people and the priests. And I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings, for they shall eat and not have enough. They shall commit whoredom, and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the mind. So whenever you don't obey God, whenever you don't believe the Bible, and of course physical whoredom too takes away the mind. It's talking about both here. It says take away the mind and the heart. And in verse 12, My people ask counsel at their stocks and their staff, declare unto them, for the spirit of whoredoms have caused them to err, and they have gone a whoring, from under their God. So I just wanted to explain it to you. So let's get into what wives should do to have a happy marriage after uh, explaining all that. So Genesis chapter 1. So we understand that the world has been deceived. We understand that uh, the people in America and Britain and, and countries in Northwestern Europe, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, we have a tendency to be rebellious toward God. And we have a tendency to, we're eager for God, but we want to do it our way. We don't want to do it God's way. So I want you to understand that background, so, so you'll better understand what I'm going to say here. Which is a lot different than I think than most ministers are preaching. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female 
created he them. So he created them male and female. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So, I want you to notice in verse 27, he said that the image of God consisted of a male and a female, two beings. That's what God consists of, two beings, because John chapter 1 proves that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So it's, it's, the image of God is, is two beings, proven by the fact that he created man, his image, male and female, in verse 27. And I, I explained that last week. If you want to listen to what husbands should do to have a happy marriage, feel free to do so on Blog Talk Radio and the Archives. All right, so women, I just want you to understand, you women, you wives, you also are commanded to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. That's not just man's responsibility, it's also a woman's. So I just wanted to explain that to you. And then in Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam. So Adam is called, it consists of a male and a female, ladies and gentlemen. Adam means, in the original Hebrew, uh, means mankind. So let's focus, let's understand that male, a male and a female are interdependent on one another. They're not independent of each other. They're interdependent. Unfortunately, because of the rebellion of society, society encourages men and women to, to want to stay single and not get married and, and not become one flesh as the Bible commands a male and female to do. So anyway, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, And the Lord said, It is not good that a man should be alone. So here is our Lord and Savior telling us, the Word of God is telling us, It is not good that the man should be alone. Do you hear that, men? Those men that you, you think that you don't need a woman in your life. Well, God is telling you, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, there are rare cases where there are men that are strong enough to not need a woman. Those men are, are gifts of God, like Paul and, and, and Yeshua and, and a few others, where they didn't need a woman. But that's not the norm. In most cases, in most cases, it's not good for a man to be alone. So in Genesis 2, verse 18, And the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. Now, let's focus on help meet. Let's focus on that. Now, first of all, let's focus on the not good part. And this is um, a little commentary out of the King James study Bible that I have. It says, A negative is extremely, the construction for expressing a mere negative preference. In the context of chapters 1 and 2, it is the only thing not good. After man and woman are completed, God said in, in chapter 1, verse 31, it was very exceedingly good. God's plan for man was less than ideal and not complete without woman, the emphasis being on alone. Help is a word frequently used in reference to the Lord in, in, in the Psalms. Thus, it is not a degrading position for the woman. The verb form basically means to aid or supply that which the individual cannot provide for himself. So, men, whether you want to realize it or not, a woman provides what a man can't provide for himself. 
that's what a woman is or should be to us. The Septuagint, that's a Greek translation of the Bible that was translated back in 250 B.C. by Greek Jews. Uh, the Septuagint translated biothos, biothos, a word the New Testament uses in the sense of a physician. And that's interesting. So the wife is kind of like a physician to us. She helps us and, and, and she heals us and, and supports us. That's what she should be doing. It conveys the idea of aiding someone in need, such as the oppressed. Certainly a godly woman meets the, this need of a man. So already I'm probably telling you something you may have never heard before, women that are listening to this, that your role, one of your major roles for a man is to help him be his physician spiritually and perhaps for those who are talented enough to be nurses and doctors um, as a physical physician as well and, and supporting him. And and helping him like like he's like the man is oppressed and the, you know the man is oppressed, ladies and gentlemen. We men are oppressed in society. We have to really work hard. That's one of the the curses that um, as I went over last week, we have to work from the sweat of our faces. That means it's a lot of effort that we have to as men apply towards work. Well, a woman is designed to to help us through all that stress and that pain and, and sometimes agony of working hard to make sure that the family's needs are taken care of. Now, the word meet comes from the Hebrew word meaning opposite. Literally, it is according to the opposite of him, meaning that she will complement and correspond to him. The Septuagint has cut cat atom according to him. This relates to a norm or standard. She is to be equal to and adequate for the man. She is also made in the image of God, thus again equal to man and not on the animal level of being, but as I'm going to explain, sure, she has the same consistency as a man as far as she is, as he stated here, Adam. Um, well, let's go into the creation of the woman in verse 21 to, to get to my next point. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep. If I have to do two of these programs, and I'm probably going to have to because uh, I want to make sure I can upload this. So this will be part one, and then I'm going to do part two today, and then we'll have, because I'm going to go over everything that I have here. This is a very, very important Bible study. It truly is, and I believe God is motivating me, motivating me rather, and inspiring me to do this. So I'm going to take my time with this. If I have to do three parts, I will, and three uploads, I will because this is a very important Bible study. And I suggest that you take this Bible study very seriously as well and look up every, I'm going to look up every scripture that I have. I'm not going to be limited because of time. And I don't have that excuse now because um, I'm doing this on real audio. So I'm going to do what I need to do to have a complete Bible study on this very, very important topic because what you're going to realize and understand, you wise, is that you are the glory of man. You are his crown. And if that crown is not uh, the right size or if that glory is loses its splendor, then that affects the whole structure of society. You contribute mightily to that if you don't if you're not the kind of crown you should be for a, a husband and if you you're not the glory of man as you should be, as I'm going to reveal to you. So anyway, um, verse 21 of Genesis chapter 2 
And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. That's how a woman is equal with the man, because she was taken out of Adam, and she is bone of a man's bones and flesh of a man's flesh. That's why she's called woman, woman, because she was taken out of man. So I want you to understand, women, you were taken out of a man, okay? You were taken out of us. That's why you are part of us, and that's why you are considered also Adam. Verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave, or be joined unto his wife. It doesn't say, Shall a man leave his father and mother, and be cleaved to his husband. And it doesn't say, um, A wife shall leave her father and mother, and cleave unto his wife. Okay, so... So we, the Bible is pretty plain, ladies and gentlemen, that it, it definitely is not for homosexuality and is not for uh, marriages that consist of two of the same sex. It, it is not something that God approves of. But anyway, so we understand the origin of how a woman was created. It was created uh, from one of Adam's ribs. So one of a woman, when you look at you, you might as well say, hey, my origin is from a man's rib. That's what you are. You are a man's rib. <laughs> and men, what, what, what do we consist of? Well, the Bible tells us right here. It states that, uh, let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. So we we are dust. That's what we are. And women are dust too, but more specifically, you are rib bone. <laughs> that's, that's what it says. So uh, that's our origin. That We have very, very humble origins, ladies and gentlemen, from both men and women. So anyway, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Starting in verse 13. And the Lord God said unto the woman. And we, I, I don't want to read the what happened. I think most people know what happened here. Uh, that she did, took of the fruit of the tree she was not supposed to because the devil tricked her and deceived her. So let's go to verse uh, 13 of Genesis. And of course, Adam went on ahead and, and took of the fruit. He went by her suggestion when she when he should not have. But anyway, Genesis chapter three, verse thirteen. And a woman let me get some water, I'll be right back. Okay. Alright, so Genesis chapter three, verse thirteen, a woman. I'm sorry. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, or tricked me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the, of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I want you to notice in verse 13 that the serpent tricked her or deceived her. 
okay? I want you to, to really focus on that, that the devil had tricked her or deceived her. Verse 15, And I will put hostility between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. So the devil has children, and but so does God, which is centered around the woman, which in this context is talking about the church or the nation of Israel, which was the church of the first church, the congregation of Israel is, is uh, means also church. And her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. All right, and that has been going on for a while, and ultimately, the Bible does reveal, and I quoted this scripture last, uh, well, actually yesterday when I was doing this. Let me see if I can find it. Um, in the New Testament, it, it kind of alludes to this scripture about this conflict. Let's see if I can find it here. Yeah. Uh, Romans 16, verse 20, it says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And so what we will do is bruise the devil's head under our feet soon in, in this century. It's, it's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. I'm looking forward to that. Now, in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. And sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. So it wasn't supposed to be like that. But because of sin, women, even as I'm speaking right now, are bringing in babies in most cases. And there's pain involved in it because of sin. And sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband. And he shall rule over thee. And I know some women may say, hey, that's a curse. But it's not a curse. And Adam was created first. And he was going to rule anyway. But... He's just reinforcing the fact that the man is, will rule over the woman. So he's just uh, reinforcing that. So, and then verse 17 says, Adam obeyed the voice of Eve and not God, which was the first marital role reversal, which I agree. I agree with that totally. And that word desire, let me look up this word desire here because people that and they don't understand the Hebraic meaning of that word, which is very significant when he says, and I desire. Okay. And Okay, uh, based on the word study dictionary, it says a feminine noun meaning longing. It was used to describe the strong feelings of desire that one person had for another, but it was not always a healthy desire. As part of the judgment after Adam and Eve's sin, God said that a woman would long for her husband. People are not the only thing that can long. God told Cain that sin was lying at the door desiring to enter. And I think mr tim Hegg and his what god has joined together biblical foundations for marriage if i can find it describes this desire Let's see if i can find it here Let's see 
see, 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 see. Here we go. Here we go. Alright, so he says right here on page 15 of what God has joined together, biblical foundations for marriage. It says, now, if this same sense of desire, wait, wait a minute, let me go back here. On page 14, and I agree with him, we need to understand what this desire is. It says, one of the important keys to understanding this important verse is the word desire, teshuka. This word is found only three times in the Tanakh, which is another word for the Old Testament. Genesis 3, verse 6, 4, verse 7, and Psalm 7, verse 11. While its occurrence in the song of Psalms may well have sexual desire as its meanings, the other usage, Genesis 4, verse 7, being in such close proximity to our text and having a parallel structure to it, it is very informative. Here we discover that desire means to dominate, to control, Sin was crouching at the door like a lion waiting to overpower Cain if he were to walk out. Yet the admonition to him is that he must rule over it, meaning conquer or subdue it. This is precisely the same word used in the last line of Genesis 3, verse 16, and he will rule over you. Except for the change of pronouns, these two lines are identical. Now, if this same sense of desire is to be understood in, in Genesis 3, verse 16, we will derive this meaning of the final two clauses. So you will desire to dominate your husband, but he will subdue you. <laughs> that's, what, that's the true Hebraic meaning of that. The increased pain in childbirth will cause his wife to seek security and help from her husband. Yet fearing that he would not aid her in the time of her pain, she would seek to dominate him, to control him in order to assure his assistance. Yet the reality is that he would not be controlled, but would himself subdue or rule over his wife. The entrance of sin into the lives of Adam and Shiva and through them to all mankind has caused a complete reversal of their created worlds. Whereas Hava, or it's not Chava, it's Hava, that's a Hebrew word for Eve, was created as a helper, someone to come to Adam's aid and supply in him what he was lacking. Now the woman would seek to dominate and control the man. And though Adam originally viewed Eve as bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, meaning he saw her as his equal and the companion together with whom he could fulfill his, God, his role as God's servant, now she is someone to be conquered or subdued. Whereas before the rebellion against God, whereas before men and women viewed each other as equals partnered together to accomplish God's design, now their independence would evidence itself in seeking the good of oneself at the expense of the other. We may rightly ask the question how the woman would think to dominate or control her husband and how the husband would win the battle by subduing his wife. Clearly, the man was created with greater physical strength than a woman. Peter, writing to husbands in the believing community, exhorts them to live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Here the language indicates he has in mind her physical weakness. So the woman could not have thought she could dominate her husband physically. Rather, the woman would use other means of control and dominate and I understand that <laughs> women do that today. But in spite of her best efforts at controlling her husband, the reality would be that because of his physical strength, he would have the upper hand. What is described here is nothing short of a war where both parties lose. So that's that's the reality to that, ladies and gentlemen. And there's a war going on. And uh, what I want to add that he didn't, and it didn't look like he did any, anyway, um, I want to add that 
a man because he was created first. And this is revealed in 1 Timothy chapter 2 by Paul. Was going to be the one in command anyway. It's just that now the man would, would be constantly challenged by a woman who would be rebellious against God. So that's the issue. That's the natural inclination for a woman is to not want to obey her husband. That is the truth. And that is revealed in Genesis. So let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. So that's what, let me look this up in the um, complete Jewish Bible version. I think it says peace. First Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. No, it doesn't say peace. I think in another verse it says that. But it says, but I, but I allow not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. So that tells you right there that Adam was, in, was the one that was the leader. Before Eve, because he was formed first. That's only fair. And then verse 14, And Adam was not deceived or tricked, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. Okay, let me um, read this in another version here, for clarity's sake. Okay, I've spent almost an hour. It looks like I'm going to have to do another one because I'm definitely not even into the core of this Bible study. So this is going to be as long as it should be because this really, really, really needs to be addressed in light of what's going on here in the United States in terms of the workforce. And, and I'm going to read you a shocking factual document that can be researched online about what's going on in the workplace and, and so forth. This is a very serious issue, ladies and gentlemen, and I have to address it. So... Um, yeah, back in First Timothy chapter, uh, what is it, 2. Okay, I wanted to uh, change the uh, version here. All right. Now, I like this version because in silence, that can also mean peace. Uh, and actually, let me look up the original Greek word here. Yeah, the original Greek word means stillness, quietness, silence. That's that's what a woman should first learn how to be. Very quiet and very humble and very meek. Not boisterous and always willing to talk and, and out-talk her husband and everything else. I mean, that that's not a characteristic that God sees in a real godly woman. A, a godly woman meaning a woman that wants to obey God. Okay, so getting back to 1 Timothy 2, verse 11. Let a woman learn in peace, fully submitted, not partially submitted, but fully submitted. What does the King James Version say? It says, with all subjection. So that's the same thing. It's just a easier or clearer way of saying it. 
So anyway, back to the Complete Jewish Bible Version by David Stern, and I re highly recommend you get that Bible. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Let a woman learn in peace, fully submitted, but I do not permit a woman to teach a man or exercise authority over him. Rather, she is to remain at peace. For Adam was formed first, then Hava, or that's the Hebrew word for Eve, not Shava, but Hava. Verse 14, also it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman who, on being deceived, became involved in the transgression. Nevertheless, the woman will be delivered through childbearing, provided that she continues trusting, loving, and living a holy life with modesty. And that's what you need to do, uh, you wives and you women. You need to live lives of trusting. You live your life trusting, loving, and living a holy or set-apart, holy means set-apart life with modesty. Uh, set-apart meaning that uh, you practice true religion, which in James 1 verse 27 is to visit the, the fatherless and the widows and those that are in distress and to keep yourself unspotted from the world or, or the wickedness of the world. That's true religion based on James 1 verse 27 and true religion based on your Bible because that verse, of course, is found in the Bible. All right. Let me drink some water. Be right back. Okay. Now let's turn to a apocrypha scripture for those or writing, I should say. For those who don't know what the apocrypha is, those are extra biblical uh, writings that were in the King James Bible and they took it out I think in the latter part of the uh, 1800s and these books should not have been taken out and let me tell you why because it gives you it gives you additional information on um, the background of the Bible background these are all Jewish books most of them and it helps you to understand the scriptures better really and this is a good example here. Let me turn to, uh, I think it's Sirach, S-I-R-A-C-H, another name for it is Ecclesiasticus. And I use these, these writings because a lot of them do back up what the Bible says. And it also gives you additional information to better understand what the Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures state. So they, to me, are a necessary ingredient if you want to really expand your knowledge on, on, on the Bible and really understand it to the best of your ability. Anyway... Um, Ecclesiastes or just improve your knowledge or wisdom about it Ecclesiasticus or Sirach uh, chapter 26 verse 2 it states a loyal wife brings joy to her husband so that's definitely in line with what the Bible says about um, um how a woman should treat her husband. A loyal, that means a loyal, to be loyal means you're obedient. A loyal wife brings joy to her husband, and he will complete his years in peace. And I don't know about you, but <laughs> I want to treat my years, my years in peace. And I'm sure every other husband wants to do that as well. Well, you wise, to contribute to that, you must learn how to obey and submit to your husband. If you don't do that, then your husband will not complete his years in peace. And verse 3 of Ecclesiastes 
Ecclesiasticus or Sirach, says, A good wife is a great blessing. She will be granted among the blessings of the man who fears the Lord. So you will play a role in those blessings. Now in verse 14 of this same chapter of Sirach, it states, A silent wife is a gift from the Lord, and nothing is so precious as her self-discipline. So, what God is saying is that if you discipline yourself, if you discipline yourself, that is so precious. That is so precious. And he's stating that it's very important for a wife to be silent. And that is a gift from God. That means that you have to work on and keeping your mouth shut uh, when your husband has made a final ruling. And he states, let me give you an example. Your husband tells you, okay, all we have is $200 to spend on a specific item or a product or whatever uh, you both agreed to get. And you go instead, without consulting him, you go and spend $300. And, of course, you tell him that, and then he gets angry, and rightfully so, because you did not do what he told you to do. This has nothing to do with violation. Only when your husband tells you to do something that is not in line with God's commandments, you are commanded not to obey him. That's just common sense. But that has nothing to do with disobeying the Torah. That has something to do with it. does. You're disobeying the Torah as far as what God told you to do. The Torah means the teachings of God, which include the, the New Testament teachings uh, of the law. And you disobey the Torah in the sense of you not obeying your husband. As Ephesians chapter 5 reveals you must do. So that that's very important for you to understand that. Now another thing I want to highlight here. And we'll get back to uh, the Apocrypha. Because there's many other helpful writings of wisdom that we must must uh, read. And, and understand and, and study them and, and apply. So anyway. Back to the Bible here. Back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Above this, uh, starting in verse 9, it says, Likewise the women, when they pray, and this is in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake, Likewise the women, when they pray, should be dressed modestly and sensibly in respectable attire, not with elaborate hairstyles and gold jewelry or pearls or expensive clothes. In verse 10, this is the key verse here. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, back in the Bible. Rather, they should adorn themselves with what is appropriate for women who claim to be worshiping God, namely good deeds. That's what the kind of clothes that he wants you wives and you women to focus on. He wants you to focus on the clothing yourself so that you can do good deeds. He wants you to do good deeds. You should clothe yourself for what is appropriate for women who claim to be worshiping God, namely good deeds. That's what you need to focus on, being a, ser a service to your husband and to humanity. That is what God expects you to do as a woman. So, Psalm 119, and what is peace? And How do we get peace? We get peace by, in Psalm 119, Starting on verse 160, this is a verse you need to memorize or at least know where it's at. Psalm 119, verse 165, great peace, not little peace, great peace have they which love thy law. Let's look at the original Hebrew meaning of that word. 
Let's look at the original Hebrew meaning of this word here. 119 verse 165. It says, those... Oh, wait. <laughs> I have to click over to the King James Version here. Well, this word in the original Hebrew means shalom. So that's a very popular Jewish word for peace. And it means to be safe, well, happy, friendly. You're healthy. Uh, it means all those things. Being well taken care of. Everything, everything is going well. That's what it means. All right? And it says great. So you have great. Every single one of those. You have great happiness and great friendliness and welfare. It means that everything is taken care of. You have great health. And prosperity you have great everything great everything <laughs> have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them or cause them to fall that's what that means nothing shall uh, entice you to the point of where it makes you fall and then in verse 166 it says Lord I have hope for thy salvation how do we hope for salvation we hope for salvation by doing the commandments, as it states here in verse 166. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. That's how you hope for salvation, by doing the commandments. You don't hope for salvation and say, I believe and don't do the commandments. You have to do the commandments too. That's a part of hoping for salvation. In the, in the complete Jewish Bible, it says, I hope for your deliverance, Adonai, semicolon. Adonai is another name for Lord. I obey your mitzvah. Mitzvah means, in, in the Hebrew, it means commandments or commandment. So, that's very important for you to understand that. Okay, about 70 minutes here. I'm going to stop at uh, approximately um, uh, 90 minutes. And then I'm going to do another part two. And if necessary, part three. Hopefully I won't have to do a part three. Because I need to, to quote every um, Jewish words of wisdom, the Apocrypha, and also the Scriptures. Because you'll get the full picture of what I'm talking about if I do. Alright, so, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 5 to 12. Let's address the issue of, should a woman speak in a congregational setting? Or should a woman speak at all? Should she teach? Because that's a big, big in this feminist society today, in particular the United States, that's a big deal today. Alright, so let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read this in the, again, the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. And starting in verse 5. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled brings shame to her head. There is no difference between her and a woman who has had her Head shaved. For if a woman is not veiled, let her also have her hair cut short. But if it is shameful for a woman to wear her hair cut short or to have her head shaved, then let it, her be veiled. For a man indeed should not have his head veiled, because he is the image and glory of God. And a woman is the glory of the man. So I, I want to point that out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, it says that the woman, the woman is the glory of the man. You are our glory, or should be anyway. And that's very important to understand. Very important to understand indeed. 
And it says right here, the only sense in which the man is uniquely in the image of God is that to him was given dominion over the earth. Well, I just read to you also that it was given to a woman as well. Uh, this was done before the creation of the woman. That is, whatever dominion and authority she has is delegated. Now, that makes sense. Yeah, it is delegated, but it's shared. All right? And I just wanted to explain that the woman is the glory of the man, and it is the man's responsibility to delegate responsibilities to the woman, although the woman, just like the man, does have dominion over the earth, as, as is proved out of the scriptures. So in verse 8, it says, For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. And that just explains my point as well. In verse 9, And indeed man was not created for the sake of the woman, but the woman for the sake of the man. The reason a woman should show by veiling her head that she is under authority has to do with the angels. So a woman is under authority. So when she, whenever she speaks, and this is not in a congregational setting here in this context, this is out in the public because there have been prophetess, and those prophetess did not speak in a congregational setting. They spoke out in the public or in their homes, but not in a congregational meeting where people are all worshiping God together. Verse 11, Nevertheless, in union with the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Okay, and that's a very important scripture to understand in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11. Nevertheless, in union with the Lord, nevertheless, in union with the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. So we are, are supposed to be, anyway, interdependent of one another. We need each other. Verse 12, For as the woman was made from the man, so also the man is now born through the woman. But everything is from God. Okay, so that, that is very important to understand that. And sure, a woman can prophesy, but it must be in a non-congregational setting, as I'm going to prove to you in a minute. What I mean by congregation, the people of God is assembling together for a church service or worship service together in, in that type of meeting. And as I'm going to prove to you, the, the Bible tells you that a woman should not lead congregations and should not be speaking in a congregational setting. And this is out of your own Bible. First um, Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14, starting at verse 34. And this is in the uh, complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake again. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. Let the wise remain silent when the congregation meets. So that's when they're supposed to be silent when the congregation meets. They are certainly not permitted to speak out. Rather, let them remain subordinate, as also the Torah says. Well, we understand what he's alluding to here back in Genesis 3, verse 16, where the man rules or dominates in a loving way, not a hateful way like a Hitler, but in a loving way, his wife. He rules over his wife, as also the Torah says. Verse 35, and if there is something they want to know, for those who don't know what Torah means, it means the teachings of God. That The, the word law translated in, in most cases in the, in the Old Testament means Torah, the teachings of God. And if there is something they want to know, let them ask their own husbands at home, which means that, of course, the husbands should be uh, the, the teachers of the wife and, 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 and the uh, biblical things and, and other things as well. Not to say that the woman can't teach the, the husband, uh, like how to cook and so forth, but 
as far as religion is concerned, that's the primary responsibility of the husband is to teach his wife so his wife can teach the children properly and other women properly. For it is, a sh for it is shameful for a woman to speak out in a congregational meeting. So it says that it's shameful, it's shameful for a woman to speak out as many women are today. And it's, and it's very shameful. I see women out here preaching when God says they shouldn't be preaching like that in the congregational setting. So that's what your Bible says. And I know people try to eisegesis that, put their own thoughts and saying hey, it's not what it's saying, but it's, it's, it's saying that. And I just... I want you to remember the, the great rebellion that men and women have um, toward God. And this is the way that the woman shows her rebellion, the refusal to do what God says in regards to um, keeping her mouth shut in a congregational setting. So anyway, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Also, and I read this in the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. Ephesians 5, verse 22, although I feel it's quite clear in the King James Version too. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 22, Wives should submit to their husbands as they do to the Lord. The word submit means simply to obey, to be in obedience. To their husbands as they do to the Lord. Now, let me just focus on this verse. Because I don't think women, when they read this, really understand what it's saying. Like they should. Wives should obey or be in obedience or submit or be under their authority to their husbands as they do to the Lord. Do you understand what that means, you women who are listening to this? That means that you must obey your husbands as you would obey God. That's who the Lord is. Okay? And that's a pretty simple statement in the Bible. If you don't do this. You're not obeying God. You're breaking the law of God. You're sinning. If you don't want to obey your husbands as you would obey the Lord. Verse 23. Because the husband... And why should you do this? In verse 23. Because the husband is the head of the wife. You know what head means. But just in case you don't know what it means. Let me go ahead and... I'm sure you know what it means. The original Greek is... Kef... Ah... Kef al a, kef al a, and it means head. <laughs> the head, okay? The boss, all right? That that's what your husband is. He's your boss, just as God is your boss. Verse twenty-three: Because the husband is head of the wife, or the boss of the wife, just as the Messiah is the boss of the messianic community, is himself the one who keeps the body safe and. Your husband, if he's any kind of man, keeps you safe. He's responsible for you. Verse 24, just as the Messianic community or church submits to the Messiah, so also wives should submit to their husbands. And does it say some things? It says in everything, in everything. And I find this is something that women, they have a problem doing that. They have a problem submitting to their husbands in everything. 
Now, just like Christ teaches his church, so does the husband teach his wife. Just like Christ rebukes or corrects his church, so does the husband rebuke his wife when it's necessary. For proof of that, let's turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 19. It says, As many as I love... Now, this is Christ talking to his church. Remember the analogy in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 19 of Revelation chapter 3. As many as I love, I rebuke or correct and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, the husband, of course, doesn't beat his wife, but what he does, or punish his wife physically, not like God can punish both of us, but he does correct. He does correct. And the indication of that is true because it says if his wife want to learn anything, let her ask at home. And, and the context of that, of course, is a wife asking questions in a congregational setting and so forth. And when you ask questions, in a lot of cases, you are corrected based on what you may not be thinking or you may not understand. So in Revelation 3, verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke or correct and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So, when your husbands lovingly correct you, wives, you should accept that correction. Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, starting in verse 10. Correction is grievous unto them that forsake of the way, and he that hates reproof shall die. So I'm sure none of us want to die, and I'm sure you women that are listening to, that, to this, that our wives don't want to die. This scripture, let me repeat it again, it's very important, Proverbs 15, verse 10. Correction is grievous unto him or her that forsake of the way, and he that hates reproof shall die. You don't want to hate reproof. You don't want to hate correction. If you do, God says that you will die. And correction shouldn't be grievous to you. You should want to be corrected. I certainly don't want to go around and believe and do something that I know is wrong. I want somebody to come to me and correct me. Well, your husband, since he's your boss, if he sees some things, God has given him the ability and the talent and the wisdom and knowledge to be your boss. If something happens that he sees that you're doing something wrong, you shouldn't get angry at him when he comes to you to correct you. It's for your own good. That's one of the ways he shows that he loves you. And you shouldn't interpret it as, 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 as hate or being too hard or overbearing. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 32. He that refuseth instruction despises his own soul. So the Bible says here in Proverbs 15, verse 32, if you refuse instruction, don't want to be taught nothing, you despise your own life. That's what soul means. But he that heareth reproof or correction gets understanding. And in verse 33, it tells you one of the definitions of the fear of the Lord, in addition to hating evil, is the instruction of wisdom. In verse 33 of Proverbs 15, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. So the Bible, of course, states that we should honor everyone, women, Wives, if you want to be honored by men or husbands, then you must be humble. Be quiet. 
don't be don't have the tendency to want to out talk a man or be aggressive like a man and and work like a man and rule like a man it's not going to work it's not going to work okay proverbs chapter 29 proverbs 29 verse 1 says he that being often reproved harden his neck so it's saying if somebody has to be constantly corrected over and over again by the same things god is saying that you are stubborn very you're hardening your neck in other words that's another uh, idiom to mean or slang to mean that you are stubborn it says he that being often reproved harden his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy so that's something you need to pay attention to, that if you're continuously having to be corrected by your boss at work or your husband and you still don't listen and you're not trying and don't care and you continue to do it over and over and over again, God is telling you here that you will suddenly be destroyed and without remedy, without a solution. So, and you don't want to get into that situation. So it's so simple to just give in, humble yourself, give up, and obey. That's what you have to do. I know it's hard, especially when you're around a husband and it makes it hard to obey. And I'm going to address that here in a minute, but on what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But we all need to work on and being to, to we need to work on not being stubborn and stiff necked, which is unfortunately characteristic of the modern nations of Israel today, including us. We're stiff necked. We have to all work on that. The men have to work on that, and the women have to work on that. We have to work on that. Like in verse 2 here of Proverbs 29, it says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but the, when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. And people are mourning all throughout this country because of the things that are happening as I'm speaking, the unfair things. that Those videos that I mentioned to you of the, the fall of the republic, and uh, what is the other video? Look at my yeah, the fall of the republic and the end game. If you get those, you understand what what they're mourning about. This is because there's great wickedness not only in this country but worldwide. And this great wickedness, which is in the form of the elite, the new world order, they want to dominate and control the world. And this this is a prophetic scripture here. It says when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule. And that's what they, they are ruling right now. The, the people mourn. And it's going to continue to get like that until people repent. And, and, and um, start to obey God. That's the only way it's going to change. That's the only way it's going to change. Okay, almost to 90 minutes here. And I'm going to stop this and then I'm going to pick up on part two. But I want to go back to Proverbs chapter 29. I like the complete Jewish Bible version of this. It says, He who remains stiff-necked after much rebuke will be suddenly and incurably broken. That is an awesome, awesome translation of that scripture. Yeah, that word means in the original Hebrew, marpe, and it means a medicine, a cure. And see, what, I, what did I just read about what a woman is to a man. You are his medicine. You should be helping him. 
and you should not be stubborn to the point of where you're not going to even be able to be helped in a medicine type of way or a symbolic way of being cured yourself. And you're supposed to be the cure for the man, and here you are, because of stubbornness, you can't even cure yourself. <laughs> and you cause yourself to have a problem that can't be cured. That That's the, just the opposite of what you should be. So I, I'm just explaining that using the Bible. Okay, so there's another scripture I want to turn to here, um, Proverbs chapter 8. And this is uh, this chapter is talking about the origin of Yeshua Messiah in his pre-existing form as the Word of God. And I have talked about that before, and uh, the Bible plainly reveals that he was created. He said it himself back in uh, Revelation. People try to isolate Jesus. This is not, this is not what... Uh, look at the commentaries. They all say, this is not what this verse is saying. Well, that's your opinion. You just isolate Jesus that uh, what the verse says plainly. In Revelation 3, verse 14, and this is Jesus speaking to the, his churches, or his church. Uh, Revelation 3, verse 14, in red letters, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning, the beginning of the creation of God. That's what he states. That means what it means. And people have come across all types of eyes of Jesus. Well, let's talk about the spiritual creation. No, it's not talking about the spiritual creation. It's talking about the fact that he was the beginning of the creation of God. And Proverbs chapter 8 reveals this, if you read it. Particularly when you start in verse 22. The Lord possessed me. That word possessed means create. And that's verified by the Jewish study Bible that said the word possessed should be created. The Lord created me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. So that word was mistranslated there, unfortunately. But the, the scriptures that I want to get to here... Uh, Proverbs chapter 8, starting in verse 32. Now therefore, hearken unto me, this is the word of God speaking, Jesus Christ. O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. So you're blessed if you keep his ways. Verse 33, hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that hears me, watches daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors, for whosoever find me finds life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sins against me wrongs his own soul. So you wrong your own soul, women and men, but this Bible study is focusing on wives and women. But he that sins against me wrongs his own life. All they that hate me loves death. So another one of Christ's word uh, nicknames is wisdom. I'm going to prove that to you here if I can find the scripture. I think it popped in my mind here. Yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God, and he's also the wisdom of God. So he is the wisdom of God, and this is what is talked about here in Proverbs chapter 8. Scriptural proof. Again. So... Let's turn to Proverbs 19, verse 20, and then we're going to stop this recording, and then we're going to do a part two. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Hear counsel and receive instruction, that you may be wise in thy latter end. And, that, and that's very important uh, to adhere to that. We have to receive instruction. We None of us know everything. 
Wives don't know everything. And husbands don't know everything. And we both need to humble ourselves and receive instruction. And the original... The original... Uh, let me take a look at this uh, word here. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Okay. In the complete Jewish Bible version... Says, listen to advice and accept discipline so that in the end you will be wise. That's some, that's some good advice for not only wives but also husbands and anyone else for that matter. Alright, so if you have to step out and do something else, may God bless and keep you. And I'll be back with you for part two of what wives should do to have a happy marriage.